AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thanks again for joining us. Always enjoy being part of your day. We have lots to talk about today. We're going to cover a lot of ground. Markets with Steve Nicholson with Bravo Agrifinance. WOTUS with Scott Yeager with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And what to make of what's happening in Washington with uh, proposed legislation, debt limit, all that. We'll talk with Will Stafford, Washington representative for CHS. We continue to sort through all that and look at the implications of what they do and what they don't do in Washington, D.C. But we're going to start today's show off talking about trade. We finally got some hint or some kind of an idea of the Biden administration's approach or their policy strategy towards uh, dealing with China on trade. This week, U.S. Trade Representative Tai said the Biden administration is set to begin confronting China directly on trade, said they're not prepared yet to talk about a second phase of the trade pact, but they are stressing the importance of resuming direct talks with Beijing. Let's get some thoughts on that from Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, first of all, uh, your reaction to what we heard from Trade Representative Tai this week? Well, we waited a while to get it. Um, <laughs> this was an eight-month review, and overall, I think it's continuing the policies they inherited with China, um, maybe toughening up uh, going forward in some ways, but basically it's the same, same type of policy, but we can pick that apart a little bit. As you started off saying, they're saying they want to do uh, talks with China, about enforcing the phase one agreement and we've all been in favor of that there's a lot left undone uh... we're not uh... done with the purchase commitments uh... for this year china's been lagging behind in all areas agriculture manufacturing energy better this year than last year they're uh... Um, a couple billion dollars behind uh, the target this year that they should be and of course we're hoping for as is usual uh... larger purchases this fall to get them up closer to the target this year, which is right about $40 billion. So, you know, overall last year they bought about $27.3 billion. So this year they've got a ways to go to uh, fulfill their commitment. But I think what the uh, ambassador was saying, Ambassador Tai was saying, is that they will pursue this going forward. This is not, this two-year purchase commitments doesn't mean at the end of December it's like, well, they did good enough and we're not going to care about it anymore. They are going to care about it, which is good. They made a commitment to buy. There was a schedule for it, but that doesn't mean the commitment to buy ends. So I think they're going to be talking with them about that and uh, trying to keep China to live up to its commitments overall. As you mentioned, no phase two talks. I think they realized that those just probably weren't going to go anywhere, so why start something at this point that wasn't going to happen? Uh, point that the overall business community and parts of agri- the impact parts of agriculture also was to restart the Section 301 tariff exclusion program. Uh, that was where companies can go to the trade representatives. There was a program set up under the Trump administration. They could say, these tariffs are hurting us. Uh, we need these inputs. A lot of times these are intermediate products used in manufacturing. We need these from China's our only source of this and paying these tariffs is hurting us, so you can go and ask for a waiver of tariffs or a reduction. Um, They're also going to look at China's industrial subsidies. Uh, You know, China's a state-run economy, lots of subsidies in their system. Uh, We believe that's in preparation for looking for another Section 301 investigation, perhaps future tariffs. And I think that's an important point to remember. The tariffs remain. The U.S. Ambassador Tai said nothing about getting rid of tariffs. They view the tariffs that are on China as leverage. So China, even though they do a lot of waivers for their importers, for our ag products and other products, their tariff regime uh, in retaliation also remains the same. So that's a concern going forward. So I guess to finish on what she said, she said they wanted to work with the trade partners in the region, trying to put a more united front. Of course, everybody thought that meant are they reconsidering uh, joining the Trans-Pacific Partnership uh, to make that happen. So a lot in there, but a lot, of course, of what is uh, what we, is uh, carryover from the past administration. 
We talk a lot about the trade deal, and I'm not putting it down. I think it's important to have that framework to work with. But in the end, it seems to me China has bought more based on their need rather than worrying about fulfilling the commitments to that trade deal and that they're likely going forward, they're going to do what they want to do, and they're going to do what they feel is in their best interest, whether it meets any goals in a trade deal or not. Would you agree with that? Well, I think the trade deal got them back on track. Remember remember the, where, how this happened. There had been such a decline because of the tariff and trade war in 2018 and 2019. I mean, we had been in the uh, $22, 23000000000 billion a year of sales to China in 2017, and then we went down to less than $10 billion as the tariffs bit, and China pulled back their purchases. So this, this deal got them back. So we're probably, you know, the forecast for this year for China is about $35 billion in sales. Next year, $39, $40 billion. So it kind of put us back where we would have been if we'd had natural increase. I think what it shows is that the demand is there. I think you're right. The demand is there in China. And we can keep growing up as they're a growing economy. You know, they buy over $160 billion a year in ag and food from around the world. So there's an awful big market there. The question going forward is, will all the other issues, will all the other U.S.-China issues, whether it's national security in the South China Sea, Taiwan, Hong Kong, treatments of the Uyghur minority, all kinds of things that U.S. and China have on their plate, will those interfere with the economic relationship, with the trading relationship. So we've been encouraging, I know a lot of people in agriculture, the business can be encouraging this administration to keep up the economic dialogue. So the fact that the um, uh, Ambassador Tai started off her remarks talking about the need to have talks, to engage the dialogue, is a good sign. So I think overall, the, the phase one agreement, and it's beyond the purchases. There's all these standards commitments, most of which China did got rid of a lot of barriers to our beef, pork, and poultry exports, still some to move to work on. They haven't done anything uh, real on the biotechnology approval process that we need to have them address, but there's still more work to do. So it, it has its role. It has its role um, in getting us back on track. I think the point is, how do we stay on track? Yeah, and for an administration that's tried to do everything the opposite of the uh, Trump administration, on this, when it comes to tariffs on China, they've left it alone then. They have left it alone. They'll say, you know, this is a way to keep China at the table. This is leverage. Um, I think they do recognize, though, the impact it has on trade, the impact it has on future opportunities. The concern is that at any point, and you go back to those issues I just said about the overall U.S.-China relationship, um, you've got a Chinese government that uh, could think about, well, we're unhappy about whatever. Um, let's let's uh, not put those waivers in for our importers. Let's enforce these tariffs and uh, put more barriers up against our exports. So the overall relationship uh, between the U.S.-China is important for everybody's trade, and it's important for U.S. agricultural exports also. All right, Dave Salmonson of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Thanks, Dave. Okay, thank you. Up next, we talk waters of the U.S. and recent comments by EPA Administrator Michael Regan, who says he wants to craft a durable definition of waters of the U.S. in the Clean Water Act. We'll talk with Scott Yeager with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association about WOTUS next on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. 
Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or High Soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and High Soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. EPA Administrator Michael Regan says he wants to craft a durable definition of waters of the U.S., one informed by Supreme Court precedent and input from a variety of stakeholders. So he's trying to find something that's going to make everybody happy. That seems like a pretty tall task. Let's talk about it with Scott Yeager, Chief Environmental Counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Scott, thank you for joining us. Um, are, they, are they aiming for something that they can't achieve here, you think? This WOTUS issue is so, such a difficult one on multiple fronts. It's so, so politicized. Um, it is also a very difficult science and legal question of how you strike the balance between what should be protected federal waters under the Clean Water Act and what should be left to the states and localities that, as you've seen over the years, a number of different administrations, Republican and Democratic, have tried to tackle it. And, uh, and now we're going back to the drawing board with the Biden-Harris administration because they didn't like the Trump rule. They thought it, it didn't provide enough protections, and they're going to try to create a new rule that's going to be more expansive and, and protect those waters that they think uh, should be protected. And that's going to have people probably on both sides, on the, on the left, the environmental groups, and on the right, the, uh, the ag groups and industry uh, fighting over what that is supposed to look like. So it's brewing to be a battle. I think Regan and his staff have tried to provide outreach and opportunities to engage in some limited circumstances. Uh, that is yet to see what that yields in terms of how they incorporate our suggestions into a proposal, uh, which we're expecting to see come in November. Over the years, we've seen EPA try to find this middle ground on the renewable fuel standard to make both sides happy and they've not been able to do it and now this epa is going to try it on another controversial topic waters of the u.s and and scott i would say we just got this new rule how do we know this one won't work i mean they haven't even given it a try have they they haven't given it time to work or or see what the problems are that's exactly right they haven't given it time we like the NAFTA Waters Protection Rule. It did a good job of finding the balance between what should be federally protected versus what should be left to the states and localities. It uh, notably had some really good agricultural exclusions that benefited our agricultural producers. So we're very disappointed. 
disappointed to see what they're doing now to basically undo that 2020 rule and, and to craft a new one. And you're right, they, they didn't really give it enough time to, to work out. Uh, what they've been pointing to is a number of uh, what's, what are called jurisdictional determinations, and that is uh, uh, what the Army Corps does to decide whether or not you've got a WOTUS, and they're saying that under the Trump rule there are a number of these jurisdictional determinations that found that there were no WOTUSes, and because there are no notices, their argument goes, uh, they think that those there's not enough protections. When obviously they, that that's a that's a leap of logic that no one thinks is workable or, or logical. Uh, they haven't shown any environmental degradation. They really haven't put their money where the mouth is to show that the Trump rule didn't work. Uh, they're just leaning on these JDs to say that um, there's not enough regulated waters out there. So that's a problem, um, you know. We, we think they should have given this 2020 rule more time uh, because it, it works for agricultural producers and we think it, it struck a pretty good balance. But here we are. Votes have, you know, elections have consequences. They're doing uh, a lot to undo uh, Trump policy changes. And this is one of those. Kind of feels like they're going to try to change it because they can. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing this across the, the environmental policy landscape. Uh, just yesterday, uh, the Council on Environmental Quality proposed that they're going to be undoing the Trump changes to NEPA, which is the National Environmental Policy Act. Um, so it's just, it, it feels like all of these uh, changes that happened during the Trump administration, they're, they're making it a point to go back and, and undo those changes. And I think Lotus falls squarely within that bucket. So, um Unfortunately, that's where we're at today. We're going to have to fight this fight and at the same time try to educate this administration as best we can as to what was good about the, the 2020 rule and what needs to be retained as they go through the process of repealing and replacing it with a new rule. We're talking with Scott Yeager, Chief Environmental Counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Scott, it took four years to change the 2015 rule to the one we have now. How long might this take? It's going to take, I think, this whole the whole rest of this uh, Biden term, Biden-Harris term. Uh, this is a really difficult issue. It's just getting this understanding how to incorporate the science as well as the, the legal and the policy elements. And also, really, the battle they're going to have to fight big time uh, is the political uh, the political perception of this issue. Um, they're going to need to be as inclusive as they can uh, to agriculture groups, their representatives, the farmers and ranchers, to show that they're listening. And the proof will be in the, in the pudding for what they propose in the coming months and years. So, yes, it's going to take them, I think, all of their the four years of, the, of this uh, term, and um, they're going to need to, to do all they can to show that they're listening to, to what we're saying as this process unfolds. There's a key. I always get a little skeptical when I hear government agencies say, uh, we want to hear from everybody, everybody has a seat at the table, everyone has a voice. Uh, but you see in the final actions whether or not that voice was listened to or not. That remains to be seen. That's exactly right. And, you know, you can get pretty cynical about these issues just because they've been ping-ponged back and forth over, you know, dozens of years. Uh, this issue in particular is a very difficult one. It's been at the Supreme Court three times. Uh, so it, it's one that I don't envy uh, the EPA for having to go back to this process because it is a difficult one and one false move and, and it could capsize the whole process. Uh, but if their intentions are to make a durable rule, which is what Administrator Rieger has said, uh, they need to work with agricultural groups, they need to work with all the public stakeholders and try to craft one that works for people who are on the ground who are having to uh, deal with it, really. Um, you know, that is where it, it, the rubber hits the road. So if they don't listen to the input from the agricultural community, if they don't listen to farmers and ranchers, I think that will be a nail in the coffin for this rule. I'm, I'm going to be optimistic here, uh, but we know with issues like this, uh, they are almost intractable on, in some respects. Uh, but I, I, our position is we will work with them as best we can to, to make sure they understand the voice of the cattle industry. And whatever comes to that process, we'll see what that is and we'll go from there. How do we avoid the nightmare of having basically multiple rules out there where you live in one part of the country, you have this rule, another part, this rule? Uh, is any way that you keep this rule in place until they decide on what the next one's going to be? Or uh, does it get in, in flux uh, during the process? I mean, uh, what do you see happening there? 
So one of the biggest issues with the 2015 rule is that it was a patchwork, right? Because there were courts that started striking it down because it was illegal. Mm -hmm. And then you've got some states that were under the 2015, some were under pre-2015. So that's happening again. The 2020 Trump rule is being litigated. And and at the end of August, an Arizona court uh, vacated the Trump rule. Um, And there was a question as to how far that district court opinion went. But basically, EPA and the Army Corps interpreted that decision to be nationwide. So right now, uh, nationwide, we're living under the pre-Trump, pre-2015, 86 regs and guidance. Okay, so that's super complicated way we're living in the landscape that was that was taking place under before the 2015 rule. Um, so that's already happening. Um, unfortunately, that 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 is happening because environmentalists litigated the Trump rule um, and took it to court and and fought that battle, and we were there defending it. Uh, and unfortunately, we had a, a bad case and a bad judge who decided wrongly, and um, it created more confusion. Uh, to be quite candid with you. Um, so that's going to, con- to answer your question, that's going to continue to happen because this issue is going to get litigated. Whatever the, tr- whatever the Biden administration creates, even if the cattle industry agrees with it, let's say hypothetically we do, we like it, and they, they do everything right, um, it's someone's going to litigate it. Environmentalists are going to litigate it or someone on the right, you know, Pacific Legal Foundation. It's going to go to court, and then it's going to probably create more of this patchwork, which is just going to further confuse and create uncertainty for agricultural producers. So this is one of those issues. Wow. That I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this battle is going to keep getting fought until either the Supreme Court gives clear guidance on it or Congress gets their act together and passes a piece of legislation that clarifies the, uh, the definition of WOTUS. I don't see Congress doing that anytime soon, so maybe the Supreme Court will take it up in the next couple of years to figure it out. That's what I'm hoping for. So it's a, it, it, it once again is a convoluted mess and confusing, and instead of clearing things up, pardon the pun here, but they've muddied the water even more, and every legal decision, every court ruling seems to make it more confusing. Scott, thank you for the yep. update. Uh, I wish it was better news, but uh, we'll stay in touch and keep up to date on it. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Scott Yeager, Chief Environmental Counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And here we go again on Waters of the U.S. All right, stay with us. We'll talk markets next with Steve Nicholson with Robo Agrofinance right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. These acres you've put your life into. Your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. On Tuesday, October 12th, the USDA will release their October WASD and crop production reports. The average trade estimate is that the USDA will slightly lower their U.S. corn yield while slightly increasing their soybean yield compared to last month. This morning, the USDA announced a daily export sales of 261,264 metric tons of soybeans and 314,256. 
6 metric tons of corn, both for delivery to Mexico. December corn trading 3 cents lower at 5.29 and a fraction. The March contract down 3 cents at 5.38. For soybeans, the January contract down 5 and a fraction at 12.47 and 3 quarters. The November contract down 6 cents at 12.36. For wheats, Chicago wheat December trading 4 cents lower at 7.42. Kansas City wheat December down 3 and a fraction at 7.41 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat December up 2 and a fraction at 9.41 and a fraction. The March contract up 3 and a fraction at 9.31. In cash cattle country, it's very quiet this morning following yesterday's moderate tact of trading. Southern live deals were mostly at $124 steady to a dollar higher than last week's weighted averages. Northern dress business was mostly at $196, fully steady with the bulk of last week's trade. Asking prices for cattle left on show lists are around $125 plus in the south and $198 plus in the north. For live cattle on the Board of Trade, the December contract trading 87 cents higher at 129.10 February, up 67 at 133.85. Feeder cattle November up 97 at 159.10 January, trading 62 cents higher at 159.40. In lean hogs, the February contract up 62 at 84.75. April up 52 at 87.57. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk markets with Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. Steve, thanks for joining us. Here we are in the midst of harvest. But is harvest driving the markets right now or something else? Good morning, Mike. Good to talk to you as always. Well, I think it's a lot of things driving markets right now. I, you know, harvest is certainly part of it. Um, you know, we're in the middle of it, like you said, and it's, you know, people are going. But I think there's a lot of still uncertainty around harvest. Um, I'm sure you've heard this as well as many of our listeners are listening. You know, you get through a field and it's a good field, good yields, everything looks good, and then you go to that field across the road and it's not quite as good. Um, I've heard a lot of variability in those fields, even surprisingly in the Eastern Corn Belt, a lot more volatility than I think everyone was thinking there. So I, I think the markets, like they have been all summer, it's like, okay, this looks like a good crop, but we're not quite sure and we don't quite want to do that. But I think that, you know, the other thing the market is, is worrying about is, you know, the overall macro economy and inflation. We continue to get lots of questions uh, from producers and from agribusiness about what's inflation. And, and I think people worrying, people are worrying over that. So that has the market a little bit uh, standoff as you had. And, you know, I think there's still the concern, you know, the whole China thing. And, you know, are they going to buy or are they not? You know, Mexico announced some numbers this morning, as you just just uh, said on your news brief there. Um, but you look at the export numbers for corn and soybeans, yes, they are behind last year. Uh, you look at outstanding sales, they are behind last year. But when you look at them in the overall scheme of, of the many years of data we have, they're at the top of the heap other than last year. And so, you know, I think the markets also – we have to keep this in perspective where we are. So the market just has a lot of uncertainty that just it doesn't like. And so when there's uncertainty, you know, it's going to be a lot more volatile, and particularly when it has uncertainty around, well, are yields too big? Are they big? Are they small? Or, 
you know, what's inflation? What's is, is Congress going to get this debt thing solved? What's the infrastructure bill? That just breeds a lot of indigestion in the marketplace. I want to get your thoughts on China. There's all this uh, yeah. talk about them not they haven't met their commitments in the phase one trade deal right. yet. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. My feeling is they're going to buy what they feel they need to buy, and they're not really worried about meeting any uh, commitments or levels in a, in a trade deal. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I don't disagree with you. I, you know, I, I think there was a lot of view early on, you know, during last year, and we'll just say in, in, we have to keep that in the midst of an election year, is that they were working hard to meet those meet that obligation. Now. But when you start to look back at that and think about the fundamentals that they were dealing with, they they had to buy it because they they had to have it. They needed it. Um, it wasn't like we're buying this just to, you know for our own. You know they're not buying for their own. They don't buy unless it's in their own self interest. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. And mm-hmm. you know they're they're worried about what is it they need to feed people. You know I, I think that's the other thing. I mean back to your, your our first conversation is you know a lot of uncertainty in China around their finances and, and inflation and all those sorts of things are you know breeding again uncertainty there. But China's going to buy what they need. Uh, they may buy a little bit more because they're concerned about supply chains. I think everyone's concerned about supply chains, and that will that's a positive for the market in the sense of I need to buy a little bit more, so I'm going to stock a little bit more. But again, the question is, can it get there? You know, we, we've heard all the supply chains, but I think China will continue to be a good buyer, whether it's U.S. or Brazilian soybeans. I think they will continue to be a good buyer of corn. Uh, they can't get it from Brazil, so they're going to come here. And you, you look at exports to China now, they're starting to pick up. And, you know, we had a little bit of a hiccup with Hurricane Ida, uh, but I think that will come around. So, you know, and the other thing we have to remember about China, and we've talked about this before, you know, we looked at what happened this summer, and we saw soybeans get really high, and they just sort of backed away. They're like everybody else. They want a good deal. And they're going to, because they're so big and such a big buyer, they can talk the market down if they decide they want to. And when they do, they come in with a vengeance to buy. So I would expect as we come through harvest and as we're, you know, we're in the, you know, right in the middle of it now, um, they may look at these prices and think, you know what, we're at the bottom of the market. We need to buy. So I would be watching China very carefully the next 30 to 45 days. Yeah, China knows they can move the market. We're talking with Steve Nicholson with Robo Agrofinance. All right, Steve, you said we're still trying to figure out the size of this year's harvest. It could (laughs) be some time because, as USDA reminded us last week, it could be a year from now before they tell us what what they feel it is, right? I mean, they can just change it. (laughs) Yeah. It was a little frustrating last week when we got the grain, or I guess it, yeah, I guess it has been last week. We got the grain stocks report, and they go, "Oh, we have a few less corn and a lot more beans." And you're and you're like, "How could we not? How could we've missed it that much?" And then it, and I realized when you look at the scheme of things, when you look at 70 million bushels, I think it was corn. I think it was right for corn. You know, you know, 14 billion bushel crop. It's a pretty small percentage. So I don't want to overblow that, but. When you have these very tight stocks, that, you know, 70, 80 million bushels is a bunch of bushels that makes a huge difference. And so, yeah, it's, it is surprising that we're, we're going back. But I think, you know, again, I think we have to think about this in the context of where we are weather-wise. You know, we've had, we've had floods, we've had droughts, we've had wind, we've had everything. And so it makes it much more difficult than if we just have a nice normal weather year, whatever that is anymore, to really find what the yields are. And so I think I think that's the thing that USDA is wrestling with themselves. And I don't want to be in their defense. They have a tough job, uh, but I you know I think that makes their job even tougher when you have all this variability in weather, and we come back and go, oh well, we didn't that wasn't quite right. So I don't want to fault them, and it's a small percentage, but it is frustrating with these very very tight stocks levels because it has a big impact on the market. I, I do think, like you said, I think there's a lot of uncertainty in this in this yield, and we could see a lot more variability in that before it's all said and done. I mean, it, think about what happened in '93. USDA said, "Oh, the floods didn't matter. We had good crop, rain mixed grain." And then we came to November and was like, "Oh, never mind. We were wrong," and we saw the market just spike higher because it, the yields weren't there. So I, that's what I worry about a little bit as we get deeper into harvest. May we get to November and say, oh, the Western Corn Belt wasn't as good as we thought it was. So, All right. And, and so the for a, that. 
Yeah. For the crop that's Correct. not sold yet, what do you what do you say into the the farmers holding on to that? Yeah, you know, if you've got new crop, and I'm going to say new crop 21 that you're still holding on to, I you know my question to you would be why are you holding on to it? And and I'm sure the answer is going to be I'm waiting for it to go higher. But I I would certainly encourage you to think about can you are you going to get a, are you going to have a profit margin if you sell the crop now and the answer is likely yes because you planted a 350 input cost at a 550 corn market and so you can lock in that margin why not take that risk off the table and get ready for next year and and that's the other encouragement is we're encouraging folks to think about 22 now i know it's the middle of harvest and you got more on your plate than you have than usual but we're very concerned about not only we think the market will still be good next year. So I don't want to, you know, throw, you know, gasoline on a fire and people go, oh boy, the market's going down. We think price-wise it'll be good. The problem is your margin gets squeezed because of you know people. We've heard a lot about fertilizer prices, chemical prices, insecticide prices, seed costs are all going up. We obviously know machinery and land costs are going up. And the concern is when we look at the farm input side, not only are prices going up, but the supply situation could be very, very constrained next year, and you may not be able to get exactly what you want. So we'd really encourage people to be out there now figuring out what is the worst scenario on their input costs, what can they sell next year's crop for, and if they can lock in some margin, positive margin, do it and move on, and start to do, lock up some of those input supplies now because you may not be able to get them later on. So, yeah, I would encourage people, look at the margins. That's what's important. Okay, then my question that I've been asking uh, a lot of folks, do you think this these higher input costs and tight availability of some inputs will impact acres next year as far as decisions what to plant? Yeah, I, I think it's, when we look at it right now, I don't know that it's going to impact people's planning for acreage right now. They're going to say, this is what I'm going to do because this is, whether I can, you know, because this is what I can plant, this is what the markets are, this is where my margins are, so on and so forth. My concern is that we get later into this, you know, winter, early spring, and all of a sudden because stuff doesn't show up, whether it's, I, I'm not worried about seed as much as I'm worried about chemicals and fertilizer. Mm -hmm. I think that's when we get in a situation where people have to start scrambling to change some of their acreage plants because they can't get all the pieces they need to put that crop in. So I do think it, you know, and it's going to be very regional in some ways as well. You know, where can you get supply? And you may have to make shifts. If you have crops that demand less inputs, they will be the ones that will be more favored. And that's why I'm saying let's start that planning now so whether so you're not coming next winter, late winter, early spring, scrambling trying to figure out what am I going to do because I can't find, you know, a certain input. So I, I do think it has potential next spring. I think in the planning process it won't. Unless, unless they get on now and find, ooh, can't find it. But I, I think acreage is still going to be there because the demand's there for the, for the product. Well, hopefully the supply chain issues will be resolved or at least better by yeah, next spring. But yeah. then again, we thought they'd be better by now, and they really aren't. So we'll see. Steve, good to no. talk with you as always. Yeah. Take care. Thank you, Mike. Good to talk to you as always. Take care. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robo AgriFinance. All right, so where are we with infrastructure, budget reconciliation looks like now there's uh they're working on a way to deal with the debt limit the republicans have offered a deal to the democrats that supposedly they're going to take to deal with that debt limit issue for a while but there's still a lot up in the air where do we go from here we're going to talk about it with the washington representative for chs will stafford will join us next we'll get a uh, legislative update next on aoa stay with us AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here... Every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return. And success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. When it comes to maintaining your equipment, look to FS for products you need to keep it running efficiently and smoothly. If your equipment is newer and requires diesel exhaust fluid, FS and many local fast stop locations have it in convenient jugs or in bulk. If you need dispensing equipment for your shop or garage, our knowledgeable energy specialists can help with that too. FS, the people and the products to take you further. Go further with FS. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're still learning more and more about what all is included in this budget reconciliation bill. And there is a fee proposed in this bill that is going to hit oil and gas producers. To shed a little light on this, I've invited Edward Cross, the president of the Kansas Independent and Oil and Gas Association, to join us. Edward, what are they proposing here in this reconciliation bill? We've uh, been talking to many policymakers about the methane fee that's included in the reconciliation bill and a fee on, on the methane emissions from the uh, oil and gas industry even though uh, the oil and gas industry has been reducing those emissions uh, significantly for the last decade. They're just looking to add a, I believe it's $1,800 a ton fee for methane emissions. Is that right? That's correct. Almost impossible for them to distinguish whether it's from oil and gas or from other sources. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's get a Washington update from Will Stafford. He is the Washington representative for CHS. Will, good to talk with you. So much to sort through here. Let's start with the debt limit. Uh, where are we there? Uh, Republicans kind of offered a deal to the Democrats to get us through for a while. Where, where does that stand? That's correct. It, it sounds like uh, Leader McConnell um, offered the, the Democrats a deal to get us through the debt limit at least for another couple months. And I'm just reading right now that it sounds like the Democrats have accepted that. And I believe that would get us through until December 3rd. So uh, a short term kicking of the can. Um, but at least uh, we can focus on other things for the next few weeks. Nobody kicks the can like Congress. I mean, they're they're the that's what they're best at kicking the can. All right. Um, so where's the can at when it comes to infrastructure? So infrastructure is still stuck over on the House side right now. Um, as you may have heard, it is on a track at the same time as this reconciliation bill that they call it that's moving through Congress as well. Um, and the Democrats are having a little bit of infighting in their own party where uh, they want to pass them both, but they don't have the votes uh, to pass them both at the same time. And progressives on the Democrat side on the House don't want to vote for the infrastructure bill unless the reconciliation bill gets a vote. And moderates in the Senate uh, aren't there to vote for the reconciliation bill yet. So it's kind of a standoff between the two sides right now. So they're talking about maybe lowering that reconciliation bill from three and a half trillion down to maybe a little over one or one and a half, something like that. Is uh, and maybe Senator Manchin is uh, kind of you know softening his stance a little bit. Where does that stand? I mean, is could it they try to push through a lower reconciliation amount? That's what it sounds like right now. Uh, originally, Senator Manchin from West Virginia had said that his number is $1.5 trillion. Uh, the bill currently stands at $3.5 trillion. Um, it, it sounds like Senator Manchin, as you said, is willing to come up a little bit on that number, maybe to $1.8 to $2 trillion, um, something like that. But that's still a lot of money um, that they'll have to cut that bill down from. And meanwhile, those House uh, House progressives in the Democrat caucus have said that their floor is $3.5 trillion. So it's still unclear whether or not the Democrats are going to be able to reconcile the two differences um, and get to a number that works for all parties involved. Yeah, the progressives in the Democrat Party, they act like three and a half is a low number. So they, they're probably not going to be willing to go to one and a half. Exactly, exactly. It still remains, remains to be seen what they're willing to do. So the, the infrastructure bill basically gets held hostage over the wrangling over the reconciliation bill. That's exactly right. The House progressives have said that they're not going to vote for the House for the infrastructure bill until that reconciliation bill is passed. Um, there's been talk about whether there's enough Republicans, moderate Republicans, that would be willing to vote for the infrastructure bill to counteract those 70 or so lost votes from the House Progressive Caucus. Um, but at this, at this time, it seems like the fate of the infrastructure bill is certainly tied to the reconciliation bill. You know, whether it passes or it doesn't pass, either way, uh, a lot of these uh, politicians, especially those running for re-election, are, are going to have some explaining to do, whether, no matter the out, what the outcome is here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think folks out in the countryside want to hear that things are getting done in D.C. Um, and members of Congress that are up for up in tough races next year in the midterm certainly want to be able to come home and say, hey, here's what I voted for and here's what we got done. So I know that right now the moderates are pushing very hard for that infrastructure bill, especially on the House side, so they can go back to their constituents and say, hey, this is what we accomplished. Uh, but right now, it's, it's uh, business as usual in D.C., which means gridlock. 
Yeah. And you know, we often hear, well, we don't know everything that's in there in these bills, especially they get passed and you, you, you feel that those voting on them haven't even looked at everything that's in there. Haven't we had time or haven't they had time to find out what's in there now? You would think they would. Uh, the, uh, the infrastructure bill, they should have at least gotten a good look at that at this point. The details of the reconciliation bill, though, are still getting kicked around. Um, it, it's probably going to look different, uh, whatever comes up in the House, than, than what they've discussed in the Senate. Um, and, and not everything is completely clear on that. So, um, you know, just the way business is done in D.C. these days, it doesn't go through the normal committee process where members get to vote on different parts of the bill and add amendments and kind of build it as it goes. It's really negotiated at the top levels between leadership of the two parties. Yeah. And uh, what's the deadlines or the deadline we should be watching for here? To me, the only deadline they really go by in Washington is going home for breaks and holidays. But uh, is there a deadline to watch for these other bills? Well, uh, Speaker Pelosi had said that she had wanted to get a vote done by the end of this month. So I would keep watching for that. Uh, So about Halloween. With that being said, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this gets dragged on towards Thanksgiving. Hmm. Um, And we should watch the tax part of that reconciliation bill, shouldn't we? Always. Yep. That's how they're going to try to pay for this thing, no matter what the cost is. Um, And those taxes are definitely something that farmers and ranchers should keep a lookout and keep an eye out on. Um, I know that there had been talk in the past about the stepped-up basis issue. Um, that obviously is extremely important for farmers and ranchers. Um, it sounds like the Democrats have backed off of that, but farmers still need to be vigilant on those major issues. Even if uh, political leaders try to tell us it will not cost anything, we know that it will, so we have to keep a close watch on that. Will, always good to talk with you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Take care. CHS Washington Representative Will Stafford. All right, that wraps it up for today. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to have the latest uh, meat export numbers for you and uh, look ahead to the winter weather forecast. That's coming up tomorrow as well. And of course, we'll keep you up to date what's happening in Washington, D.C. Thanks for being with us. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. This Movember, here's to mustaches in all their glory. To the first peach fuzz ones, the lopsided ones, the unexpectedly sexy ones, to the black, brown, and red ones, to the stately salt and pepper ones, to the ones grown by the men we love, the ones grown for the men we love, those with us today and those never forgotten. A mustache in Movember is a powerful thing. It helps raise funds and awareness for men's mental health and suicide prevention, prostate cancer, and testicular cancer. So rally your crew, friends, family, co-workers, and take on Movember together. And there are plenty of ways to get involved in Movember, even if you can't grow a mustache. Help us change the face of men's health. Go to Movember.com and let's get this hairy party started. That's Movember with an M as in mustache.com. Movember is a registered 501c3 organization.